Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... Before the season kicks off, a mega preview of the NFL season, including predictions for the Super Bowl. Plus, the biggest overreactions from week one of the college football season. And, do the hot Blue Jays and the slumping New York Yankees change the outlook of the AL wildcard? It's episode 39 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Hey everybody, here on Thursday, September 9, 2021, the 39th edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you everyone for tuning in wherever you are. Normally, I just dilly-dally tell you about what's going on, but we gotta keep it short because we've got a jam-packed show here today. We've got a returning guest as part of the Let's Get Local segment. Alex Barth is gonna join us. We're gonna talk a little bit of Patriots and preview their season. Plus, we got a ton of sports to get on to, but going to dedicate this to my brother-in-law will happy birthday this upcoming saturday on september 11th 35 man my episodes are older than you right now dedicating this to you but let's stop dilly-dallying let's get into it because the nfl season is the big headline the 2021 season kicks off as we're recording today tonight the cowboys and the bucks by the time this releases, the game will be over, but that is the unofficial, or it kind of is the official kickoff to the new NFL season, and this is going to be a very special segment. We are going division by division, team by team. We're going to preview every single division, who are the contenders, who are the pretenders, and at the end, I'll give you a little Super Bowl prediction of what I think can happen. Now, just to be clear about all these predictions, don't hold me accountable. Because it is only week one. It is only week one and there is an extra week in this season. So there's still a ton of things that can happen. But let's get into the breakdown and we start in the AFC East. Now, I believe with this division, it's going to be the most competitive that it's been in years. In years. I know last year it was so-so, but I think this is competitive. Because I think three out of the four teams are going to be contending at least for playoff spots. But the obvious one... Are the Bills. The Bills should be the division favorites, especially after what Buffalo did last year, making it all the way to the AFC Championship game. And I think being in that championship game and falling to the Chiefs, that's that's a room for improvement. That's room for growth for Josh Allen and this whole Bills team. I think the one thing, though, to be considered as legit Super Bowl contenders is to get a running game in because they were great. Josh Allen was incredible. In my mind, he was the runner-up for the MVP. He was, they were second in pass yards per game, but the run game was not good at all. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, they got to get more involved. They were 20th in rush yards per game. That's the first thing Buffalo has to do. The second thing they got to do is not have a middle of the pack defense. That's how they take over uh, Kansas City as Super Bowl favorites coming out of the AFC. 
because I like their secondary. I like the way they're set up there with Tredavious White and Levi Wallace as your corners, and then Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde as your safeties. I think ultimately it comes down to the D-line with that defense. They have to make the impact. So Jerry Hughes, Star Lutulele, everyone on that D-line, they got to challenge the line of scrimmage, be able to get after those quarterbacks, start racking up some sacks. I think that's where it is for Buffalo. But I still think they're the favorites regardless. I think they're the favorites in this AFC East. And if they don't win the division, it should be very it would be very surprising. But second place behind the runner up, that's where is the big debate cuz you have New England and Miami. Those are the two teams cuz there's no chance that the New York Jets don't finish in last place. They will be in last place in this division. But you just have to look at what New England and Miami did last year. I mean, the Pats went 7 and 9 with a team that's 10 times worse than what it is now. I mean, Cam Newton couldn't throw the ball down the field. They didn't have any talent. Their defense was so-so. But it was it was 7 and 9 still. Like Bill Belichick the way he was able to manage that was incredible. And then with Miami, they had the the quarterback switch when they were 4 and 2. They went from Fitzy to Tua Tagovailoa. And then the Dolphins, they they were okay. They were okay. I want to say Tua went like 6 and 3 in his games, but they still missed the playoffs. They were like one spot out. When you look at the teams where they are now, with the Patriots, you know what you're going to get with Mac Jones. He's going to have his rookie trials and tribulations. Obviously, Stephon Gilmore isn't going to be there for the first six weeks with him being on the PUP, so that secondary takes a hit. But the defense is still much better than it was. On the Dolphins' side, the pressure is now on Tua Tagovailoa because he is the guy. Brian Flores came out and said, this is our quarterback. We're not trading him for Deshaun Watson. Because when you look at the numbers in the 10 games that Tua played last year, completion percentage was 64%. Just over 1,800 yards passing, 11 touchdowns, 5 picks, and sacked 20 times. Now, I do like the receiving core that Miami has. I like Devontae Parker, Will Fuller once he comes back from the suspension, the draft pick they picked up, Jalen Waddle, and Mike Kosicki at tight end. I also love the secondary that they have. This is a very elite secondary. Remember, this was a defense that led the league in takeaways with 29. They led the league in takeaways, and they were top three in interceptions. So you have Xavier Howard, Byron Jones as your corners, Eric Rowe, and Jason McCordy as your safeties. I think at the moment for the AFC East, I would choose the Pats over the Dolphins just because I think Miami, they have all the talent. They had all the talent, and Tua struggled a little bit. But the Patriots, they have the experience with Bill Belichick at the helm, coaching this team, and the Dolphins just need a few more years. I think they'll be great next year, depending on what Tua is able to do this year at the quarterback position for Miami. But moving on to the AFC North, I think this is going to be the second tightest division race in the NFL, because I think, again, you have three out of the four teams who many would say have the ability to be first place and win this division. Now, I got to say, I am high on Cleveland. I'm very high on the Browns pulling the shocker and winning the division this year, because you've got a returning Odell Beckham Jr. 
He's already your top two receivers right there, joining Jarvis Landry and a very underrated pass catching core, not only at the wide receiver spot, but at the tight end. You obviously have the two great running backs with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But more important than that, you have Baker Mayfield, who's much more confident. I think this is a guy who's got so much charisma and you can see confidence from the minute he took the field with Cleveland in his rookie year. Now, he's going to be even more confident, I think, because this was the third-best rushing team last year, but they were the 24th-best passing team. So you have to think, with all this confidence, Mayfield's probably going to take some more chances throwing the ball. I mean, last year, 26 touchdowns and 8 picks. So he was smart. He was very smart with the ball. I think he continues with that. And not only that, on the other side, Miles Garrett on the defensive line. He should have a defensive player of the year type year. He's my early prick early pick for defensive player of the year. I think he's going to be great. He's going to help that Cleveland defense be better than what they were. And as of right now, I will pick the Browns to win that division. I will say second place, again, another tricky idea, but I think it's going to be the Ravens. I think the Ravens will be the runner-ups in that division. And I know they've had a ton of injuries right now with the running back, obviously starting with J.K. Dobbins, and then losing their backup, Justice Hill. So this is a running heavy team. So Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson, they're going to be leading the way with that. But obviously, just like last year, it's going to be about Lamar throwing the ball. He's going to have to be better at throwing the ball to really be Super Bowl contenders. I mean, the pass catchers that they have, I'm not absolutely thrilled. You know, maybe outside of Marquise Brown, and Mark Andrews, I think those are the only two pass-catching options that they have. You know, Sammy Watkins is okay, but I don't expect him to be the biggest difference for that team. And then I think the defense is going to be good, but I do think they take a step back just a little bit. I think Calais Campbell is kind of getting a little bit older, not going to have the biggest impact on the defensive line. You know, you you lose Matthew Judon to New England in that linebacker linebacker core. And then the secondary, you know, they, it's a lot of inconsistency, you know, with Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. I think they're both great, but it's just a little bit inconsistent. I still think Baltimore should make the playoffs. I think they should still make the playoffs because, I mean, come on. Lamar Jackson, he runs the ball. He's like a modern-day Michael Vick. And all he's got to do is just learn how to throw it, and then they can be true contenders. So that's where I see Baltimore. I see Pittsburgh kind of basically being on the success of Big Ben beating Father Time. Because like I've said over and over and over since last year, the Steelers need a running game to give him a break. And I think they did great with that in the draft, getting Najee Harris in the draft. I believe it was the 24th selection. It is a new offensive line, though. A couple of new pieces getting in there. So we'll have to see how long it takes for them to really gel and get that uh, chemistry going on the offensive line. I think the defense for the Steelers are going to win a lot of games. I think they are, especially with T.J. Watt. You know, they were able to figure out that Watt will take the field. I think, you know, I agree with Roethlisberger saying this dude should be paid whatever the heck he wants because the Steelers need him. And the only way they continue to be relevant and continue to have success is with T.J. Watt on that team. Now, I will say the Steelers are on a thin line, a thin line of staying in the playoff hunt. I think they just barely 
make it, or they just barely miss. Because I think the team that you saw after they went 11-0 after that, then they faltered in the wild card round against the Browns. I think that's the true team right there. Obviously, Roethlisberger, he said he feels healthy, but again, you've got a ton of weapons like Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster. Those are still guys where you're kind of the door's open on whether they're elite or not, or if they can really help. That's ultimately what I see for this Pittsburgh team. And then also the Bengals. I just think, you know, Joe Burrow's coming off the injury. They're not there just yet. I don't think they're there just yet, especially with the offensive line as being weak as they were. But speaking of weak, I think the AFC South is once again the weakest division because there is only one team out of this division that I think makes the playoffs, and it's clear as day that it should be the Tennessee Titans. Because the only way that they don't is that if they shoot themselves in the foot, they have injuries, etc., etc. You know, one of the things could be Ryan Tannehill can't get the deep ball to A.J. Brown or Julio Jones, which I don't think is going to be the case. I'm very high on Ryan Tannehill. He's been underrated ever since he got to Tennessee. You know, another thing that could happen is Derrick Henry not being the dominant force from before, which I don't see happening at all. And then the defense for Tennessee being sustained. You know, they're not horrible. But, I mean, the acquisition of Bud Dupree, he's still coming off that injury. Janoris Jenkins helping out that secondary. This was the 28th overall defense in 2020. So in order for them to be contenders for the Super Bowl, they have to get better on defense by 10. By 10. They've got to be at least mid-pack, I would say, with the kind of offense that they have. They have to be a mid-pack defense. Now, I say one team out of this division makes the playoffs, and that's why I think, because I think the Colts are going to take a step back. You know, they switch from Phillip Rivers, Mr. Consistency, to Carson Wentz. There's so many, so many questions about Carson Wentz now that he's with a new team. I mean, before Philly switched to Jalen Hurts, he had a QBR of 41.9, 16 touchdowns, 15 picks, and sacked 50 times in 12 games, okay? So there's questions for that. There's also questions about T.Y. Hilton. Can he make an impact when he comes off the IR? You know, that's going to hurt the offense. And then defensively, they did lose Justin Houston to Baltimore. That's a big loss. That's a big, big time loss. And I would say, and I would say, you know, they were eighth overall and second in rush defense in 2020, but I think Justin Houston's going to be a lot more of a big loss than people think. And that's why I think the Colts are on the outside looking in. And then the other two teams, the Jags, they're on the up and up, hopefully, but not this year. And then Houston, biggest laughing stock of the NFL this year. That's what it's going to be. But then finally in the AFC is the AFC West. And I think it's pretty much set in stone. Set in stone at the top, Kansas City Chiefs. I think early on they're the Super Bowl contenders, and they should be. They've made it two times in a row. They've got Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes. I mean, what more can you say about that? But they did improve the O-line. They got the biggest offensive line acquisition out on the free agent market, Joe Tooney. I think that's a great pickup for them. I think Kansas City is going to at least make it back to the AFC Championship the way they play. But afterwards, when it comes to second and third, you know, it's a lot of back and forth. Some people have the Raiders going second. Some have the Chargers going second. 
I am a fan of the Raiders. I think the Raiders are going to be a runner-up in the West because I think they have a great offense. I like Derek Carr. You know, he's not overrated. He's not underrated. He's a middle-of-the-pack quarterback that you can trust on, okay? And I think they also made improvements defensively because they were 30th in opponents' points per game. They get Casey Hayward for the secondary. That helps so much. I do think they are, again, a fringe wildcard team. You know, it's going to take a couple of things, you know, between the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Steelers, Ravens, all those teams. If they have bad teams, then the Raiders are going to be right there because they were almost there. But then the last three or four weeks, they started stumbling a little bit. And that's why they were unable to make it. But I am high on the Raiders. I think they're going to have a much better year. I could see a 9-8 and eight or a, a 10, 10 and 9, something like that. But I still think they're a fringe wildcard team because that AFC is stacked, absolutely stacked. On the Chargers side of things, you know, I'm a fan of Justin Herbert, but I just think he's due for a sophomore slump because he did lose his favorite target, Hunter Henry. And Derwin James defensively is kind of like that piece of gold amongst the rubble that you're digging out. Or it's one of those, you know, maybe like those scenes in Aladdin where under the cave and stuff like that, there's just shiny lamp in amongst like all this rubble and like jewels and stuff like that I don't I don't see the Chargers being as good as some people think so because I know Herbert set all those rookie records but again I like Keenan Allen I like Williams I like Eckler but I just don't think I don't think they'll be able to uh I don't think they'll be able to have as good a year this year as they did last year but I will say it's also a fairly tough schedule they've got to play the AFC North They've got a very tough division that they're in. Obviously, they got to play the Chiefs twice, the Raiders twice. That's that's kind of where I am at with LA and with the Chargers. I think they're just they're not there yet. I think next year people are going to really take them seriously as wild card contenders, especially if they make a couple of upgrades on d- defense. But you know, that's our AFC. Look, let's look at the NFC right now. Go into the NFC East. And I can already tell you, it's going to be 10 times better than it was last year. There will be a division leader or a division winner that has over a 500 record. There won't be this 7-9 crap with Washington. But speaking of Washington, I think they're all around the best team in that division. I think they finally have stability at quarterback, getting Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think they've got a nice steady offense. Antonio Gibson, Logan Thomas... Terry McLaurin, very underrated at their positions. And some sneaky upgrades that they had. Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphreys. That's some depth for your pass catchers. I think they're very underrated acquisitions. And then obviously you have one of the top defenses in the league with Chase Young leading the charge, being the defensive rookie of the year. I like Washington to win this division. But not by much because I think the Cowboys have the talent to make the playoffs. But just early on, they have a lot of questions. That would sure up a possible division. You know, first for starters, the obvious one is Dak Prescott. You give him this big contract. He's coming off a, a really bad leg injury. Then he has a shoulder strain throughout the offseason. How is he going to feel when he gets onto the field for the regular season? Is Ezekiel Elliott going to have a bounce back year? Because obviously, he's regarded as a top five running back in the entire league. But... Can he sustain the success that he had in the past? Because overall, it was just a down year for the Cowboys in general last year. But defensively, they have to get 10 times better. They have to get 10 times better. And I've said it every single time 
that Dallas is brought up in the conversation. They were second to last in rush defense. They were 28th in opponents' points per game. And Mike McCarthy, you know, a lot of people were questioning, are these guys going to be active? Are they going to be invested? Because there were some times that I didn't feel like they were invested. Is Mike McCarthy going to have his guys active? Is that going to be the biggest thing? And then afterwards, I think the Eagles, you know, I'm a big fan of Jalen Hurts. I would love to see him get the chance. I don't think he has an incredible year this year because I still think they're kind of lacking in terms of talent defensively. I do like the draft pick that they got with Devontae Smith. I think Miles Sanders is a good running back. I think Philly's just not there yet. But I will say, I think the Giants are actually closer than the Eagles because they will get Saquon Barkley back and they made some upgrades on offense. But defensively, it's still going to be a big question as to what they can do. What can they do? Moving on, though, to the NFC North. You know, a lot of people are saying it's locked up. I don't think it's locked up as many people think. Now, before people, you know, question me for that, I'm going to say that the Packers are the favorites and should win the division. But again, I'll say, how does the Rodgers drama carry out onto the field? What does Aaron Rodgers, with this eventful offseason finally coming to a head, what will happen on the field for these guys? You know, are they going to say, Rodgers is going to leave regardless? You know, why should we care? You know, they do have a great receiver in Devontae Adams and a great running back that they re-signed in Aaron Jones. And I think this is going to be, again, another Super Bowl contending team, but this division isn't going to be locked up. I think Minnesota could surprise people. They usually, it's kind of like in every other year for Minnesota, where they contend, then they fall out of the playoffs, they contend, they fall out of the playoffs. Kirk Cousins has a ton of inconsistencies, but it's a great running game they have with Dalvin Cook. They've got two great receiving options, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. And then defensively, all they have to do is move up like three positions in the rankings, and the Vikings will be right there. They will be right there to really challenge Green Bay. And I think, you know, remember, last year in the NFC, Chicago finished 8-8 eight and eight and made the playoffs, okay? That should be no problem. The Vikings could squeak in there. They could squeak in there. But speaking of Chicago, I think, again, the future is set for Justin Fields. This isn't a playoff team this year. I think they'll sure up defensively after this year. But once they get Justin Fields some experience, then they can be taken seriously. And then, obviously, the Detroit Lions. Nothing really more to say about that. They made the quarterback switch. I like Jared Goff, but I just don't think this team is built for success right now. Right now. Moving on, though, to the NFC South. I think this could be a sneaky competitive division in 2021. And Tampa Bay should win the division. Not only that, but they should contend for the Super Bowl. I mean, they returned all of their starters. And they have the greatest quarterback on the entire planet of all time, Tom Brady leading the charge. No question they should win the division. I do think the Saints are going to take a step back. I think they're going to take a step back, mainly because of Michael Thomas. They're not going to have him for the first five games, and we know the old saying, you can't win the Super Bowl, but you can definitely lose it in the first couple of weeks, and I think that's what happens to the Saints. They could start two and three or one and four, Obviously, everyone's kind of high on Jameis Winston. I'm not 100% sold that he's going to be as effective as he thinks. I know he was a 500 or a 5,000 yard passer, 
but he had a year of 30 touchdowns and 30 picks, okay? If he cleans up those mistakes, then you can have confidence with New Orleans. Atlanta, I think they're going to be better. I think they have a great offense, but I think they got to get better defensively for the for people to really take them seriously. And then the Panthers starting the Sam Darnold era. You got Christian McCaffrey coming off the injury. I think those two are on the outside looking in once again. I think, again, they'll have a sub-500 record, but they'll be better than what they were in 2020. And then finally in the NFC West, I think this is going to be the most competitive division in the NFL because when you look at all four teams, you look at the Rams, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and the 49ers, every team has a chance to either win the division or make the playoffs. In terms of winning the division, I am taking the Rams. I think Matthew Stafford, he's got the weapons around him finally. He's got a defense that can back him up. I like Sean McVay leading the charge. Give me the LA Rams to win this division. And ultimately that, I think they can contend for a Super Bowl. I think they're a Super Bowl caliber team. But then afterwards, you know, this might be a little bit of a surprise. I think Arizona is going to leapfrog Seattle and get second place. I like Kyla Murray really stepping up and getting much better than he was a year ago. They picked up A.J. Green, two monster receivers. A.J. Green can still be effective alongside DeAndre Hopkins. They bolstered their defense with J.J. Watt. I like Arizona to make the playoffs this year. I really do. I think the experience of collapsing last year helps that Arizona team more than ever. And that's why I think they finish second in the division and they make the playoffs. I will say I'm a little bullish on Seattle. You know, I I ultimately think they could finish in last place because, again, this is a terrible defense. You look at the stats, it was at the bottom of the pack. And obviously you do have a great quarterback in Russell Wilson, but he can't do everything. And there was so much drama about possibly being traded and stuff like that. You don't know how that's going to happen. I don't think Seattle is going to be as good as people think. I think, again, they knock on the door of the wild card, but I don't think they're going to be as good as people think they are, which leads me to the 49ers. I think they are one of the biggest mysteries right now because when healthy, they are a Super Bowl team, as shown two years ago. But is Jimmy Garoppolo the guy? Is George Kittle going to be healthy? Is that defense with Bosa... And uh, all those guys, are they going to be healthy? We don't know that for a fact. But I think the 49ers can get better. I think they can get better. I still think they miss the playoffs, despite how loaded the NFC, or how close it'll be, especially in that West Division. I still think they miss the playoffs. But now to finish the segment off, it's everything you've been waiting for. The Super Bowl prediction out of Week 1. I am going to... It's, it's a big one. It's a big one. I thought long and hard about it, but I think for Super Bowl 56, I think the Kansas City Chiefs will beat the Los Angeles Rams. You got to remember a couple of years ago when these two teams played. It was like 54-51. Very entertaining. I think, you know, a lot of people are going to doubt Tom Brady and all those returning starters. They're saying, oh, they should go back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but... If they have all their starters, that makes it kind of easier to game plan, essentially, against them. You know what the two running backs, Jones and Fournette, are going to do. You know all the receiving options that they have with Evans and Brown and Godwin and all of them. I think it makes it easier for teams to game plan against them, especially in the playoffs. 
I like the Rams. Like I said, I'm very high on them. I think they make the Super Bowl, but they are going to fall to the Chiefs because they're the Kansas City Chiefs. They've been to the Super Bowl for the past two years, consecutive years. They're the modern era New England Patriots. They're going to be the Patriots of the 2020s and beyond, however long Patrick Mahomes is going to be. And I ultimately think Mahomes is going to be the MVP. That's my MVP prediction and all of my predictions here for week one. But all I know is regardless of whether these are right or wrong predictions, it's going to be great to see NFL regular season with fans in the stands back on your TV screens. Now, of course, the NFL is kicking off this week, but last week there was another football that kicked off, and that was college football. Essentially, there was week zero two weeks ago, but last week was officially week one, and we'll dive into what are the biggest overreactions and what are the biggest headlines that people might be taking away from week one of the college football season. But before we get into that, we got to talk about the AP Top 25 poll because there's a little bit of a shakeup. Some teams dropping out, but the top five had a really big shakeup. Obviously, Alabama stays at number one. Obviously, the big win over Miami. But now Georgia is ranked number two. Ohio State is third. Oklahoma is fourth, followed by Texas A&M. And Clemson dropped from three to six. So those are the biggest changes in the AP Top 25. But I want to talk about a team that is now officially ranked, and that's UCLA, because them starting 2-0 might be the most unexpected moment so far in all of college football, all of college football, because you got to remember, Chip Kelly and the story that he had. He has this dynamic offense with Oregon. He was in Oregon, and they're national title contenders, and then they say, This is a revolutionary style, and he's going to do great in the NFL. He goes to the Eagles, fails. He goes to the 49ers, fails. He's now at UCLA. He's been failing since he's been there. But now he's 2-0. He's 2-0. I mean, he has been the biggest laughingstock in the football world for a long time now. But now he's got some credentials. And I think this UCLA team is a great team. That starts with a great running game because they have two great running backs. Leading the way, though, is Michigan transfer Zach Charbonnet. I think I might be pronouncing it wrong. It might be Charbonnet. Not 100% sure. Probably someone will correct me or something like that. But overall, this team had 244 rush yards against Hawaii and 210 rush yards against UCLA. Now, back to Charbonnet. He's been leading the way. 17 carries. 223 yards, four touchdowns in two games so far. But the schedule does get tougher once the Pac-12 conference play does get underway. I mean, in three straight weeks, they have to go to Washington, they host Oregon, and travel to Utah. That's consecutive in October. So if UCLA could maybe get four wins out of there before conference play gets underway, then people can start taking them seriously. At the moment, I think the biggest, the overreaction for this 
is that UCLA is going to be better than they once were. And I think they will. I think they will get better. I think they will get better, but I still don't think they can be taken seriously, you know, in the way that a Stanford or an Oregon or a consistently well team has been. Because UCLA, it was a basketball school for years. Obviously, the history with John Wooden and all of that, even recent history, bringing out Russell Westbrook, Kevin Love, those guys, Zach Levine. But now, trying to get itself to be a football school, this is a good start. 2-0 and and Chip Kelly. Now, I think the biggest upset that did happen last week, staying in conference in the Pac-12, was Washington. They were awful in a loss to FCS Montana. Okay? I think I read somewhere they were only like the fifth team ranked in the AP Top 25 to lose to an FCS school. I mean, come on. I mean, it starts with Dylan Morris at the quarterback position. Three interceptions thrown. And those are going to kill you, no matter who you are. Turnovers are going to kill you. But not only that, but they didn't have any balance of pass and run. They only had 65 rushing yards. Only 65. And Washington, they kind of put themselves behind the eight ball because after this loss, 13-7, to now they have to go into the big house to play Michigan, to play in front of that hostile crowd. I don't know if you saw the Michigan game last week in the big house. That stadium holds over 100,000 people, and they were loud. They were loud. I mean, you talk about there are other schools, obviously, who have stadiums like that that get big, but the big house was rocking. I mean, there's a viral video going around of every single one, all 100,000 of them, singing Mr. Brightside. That was that was funny to me, and that shows you how much the crowd will play a factor to Michigan. So Washington could start 0-2. And I think they're going to be behind the eight ball. I think the overreaction here is that they will be able to recover for this. I don't think they will. I think they're going to struggle this year. Especially, you know, like I talked about with UCLA now getting better. You have your Stanfords, your Oregons, your Arizonas. Teams that are consistently known to do well. With Washington falling to 0-2, which I think is going to happen, that's not going to be good. That's not going to be good for the Huskies. They are going to be totally behind the eight ball and then lastly I want to look at the ACC with some overreactions because they took a hit they took a hit with two losses from their top schools Clemson and North Carolina they both dropped now to their credit Clemson did hold Georgia who was ranked in the top five to only 10 points only 10 points but I did mention last week that offense is going to be the biggest question for Dabble Sweeney and that Clemson team because there's no Trevor Lawrence, no Travis Etienne. If that offense does not get any better, Clemson is going to tumble, 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 tumble all the way down to the bottom of the ACC. We talked about Clemson last week. But North Carolina this week, this was a team last week that I said couldn't make some noise. And now here they are shooting themselves in the foot against Virginia Tech. I mean, Sam Howell, you know, some are saying he's a Heisman candidate. He didn't play like it. 17-32, and 208 yards a touchdown, and three picks. Three picks. And on the ground, he wasn't as effective. 35 rush yards, 13 attempts, two fumbles, though. Now, Howell was bad, but the entire team was bad offensively. They were 2-for-10 on third down. They they had five penalties against two for the Hokies. So, ultimately, it's the tiny stuff. It's the turnovers. It's the penalties. It's 
this was a game that Virginia Tech did not win. This was a game that North Carolina lost. And I'll give the credit in the world to Virginia Tech. I mean, if you can upset a team like that, you deserve credit. But this is more about North Carolina not performing to their expectations rather than Virginia Tech exceeding it. And ultimately, for UNC, if they're going to have any shot in the ACC, if they're really going to contend, they have to get better on third down defense. Third down defense has to get better. Virginia Tech was 6 of 13 on third down. You let any any team get 6 third down conversions, you're going to lose that game. So the overreaction here in the ACC, is Clemson going to fall apart? I think not yet. You can't say it after one week because, like I said, the defense was great. They held Georgia to 10 points. 10 points. And Georgia is a high-powered offensive team. If they can do that, Clemson's going to be okay. Like I said last week, they'll take a step back, but I don't think the sky is falling. I don't think the sky is falling. And then the overreaction for UNC is that they are going to fall apart. I don't think they fall apart either. I think they gather themselves, they clean up their mistakes, and they do much better in the weeks coming ahead, especially when conference play gets underway. But the good thing about the college football season is that we are still very early in the season, and conference play for some hasn't even gotten started. And there's still plenty of time for all of these teams and these schools to get better. Up next, we turn now to baseball because the playoff run is heating up here in the month of September, and there are some teams that have been taking a big 180, and I'm talking about the Blue Jays and the Yankees. One's on a hot winning streak, one's on a hot losing streak right now, and it makes you think, is that going to change anything in the AL wildcard? And I thought that is the perfect subject to dive into this week's edition of our segment known as Hot Takes. Now, looking at the standings, where they are right now, over the past week, the Red Sox have leapfrogged the Yankees. They're now in the first AL wildcard spot at 80-62, and and they get the day off. They resume Friday against the White Sox in Chicago. Right now, the Yankees have the second wildcard spot, but they've lost five straight. Five straight. Meanwhile, the Blue Jays, who are 76-62, and are only a game and a half behind the Yankees and are currently tied in the loss column with the Red Sox right now. And then everyone else who's kind of close, Seattle, they're two and a half, but I'm still not contenders on them. Athletics, they're three back, but they're they're too much, they're too inconsistent and they're streaking. But I want to focus on the Yankees and on the Blue Jays because you look at the schedules, the way they've been going. The Yankees have lost five straight and nine of their last 11, okay? And these aren't just, you know, regular losses. It's not like they're playing the top teams out there. They're losing to the Angels and Baltimore, okay? And I think the series earlier this week against the Blue Jays, that was dominant from the Blue Jays, the statement that they made there in the Bronx. 8-0, 5-1, 6-3. Boom, you sweep the Yankees, and you get one more tonight. You might even make it a half game when you, if you beat the Yankees in the Bronx and sweep that four-game series. But the Yankees are terrible right now. Absolutely terrible. Over the past week, they're only hitting 
182. They're only hitting 182 as a team for a batting average. Five home runs, 18 RBIs, and their offense is just sputtering out of control. They're too inconsistent, okay? Listen to these games, nine of the last 11. They lose 3-2 in Oakland. They lose 3-1 in Oakland. And then when the offense does good, their pitching can't do it. They lose 8-7 against the Angels. They lose 6-4 against the Angels. They finally win and break the stride, get back-to-back wins, 4-1 over the Angels, 4-3 over the Orioles. But then these last five, 4-3 to Baltimore, they lose. 8-7 Baltimore, they lose. Then the last three versus Toronto, 8-0, 5-1, 6-3, loss. And you've got one more game. But not only that, but you lose your ace. Garrett Cole is now on the I.L. with hamstring tightness. He had to leave the game. And he's not going to be the same pitcher that he once was. And that was the biggest question for this team. Because I thought the offense was going to be just fine. They were going to be fine. They got all these guys back. Aaron Judge is back. Giancarlo Stanton. They pick up Rizzo. They pick up Gallo. Gallo, I'm more down on than I am Rizzo because he's a home run or strikeout guy. If he's not hitting long bumps, he's striking out. He struck out 11 times over the past week. The team in total over the last seven days, 55 strikeouts. 55 strikeouts. This is the definition of a home run or bust for this lineup. And I thought they were going to be able to be consistent enough to continue it. But the fact that they are only hitting 182, they've struck out 55 times, 36 hits. It's just, it's a nightmare scenario what's going on right now with the Yankees. Because remember, they won, I believe it was 11 straight, 11 or 12 straight games. And they went from a below or at 500 team to now being World Series contenders in some people's minds. Now, I do think... They are going to be able to hold on to this, but you have to look at the schedule, what's going on. After this series with Toronto, they've got three games in New York. They take on the Mets. They host the Twins for a makeup game. Then they're in Baltimore, host Cleveland, host Texas, at Boston, at Toronto, versus Tampa. That is not an easy schedule at all. Definitely not. So they have to win these games. They have to win the games. In New York. They have to win them in Baltimore. Versus Cleveland. Versus Texas. It's when it comes down to the last month of the season. For basically any team. It's about winning the series that you should win. That's all it is. That is all it is for this team. And any team. You win the series and you win the games. You have to win. But that's not what this Yankees team is doing right now. But going on to the other side. For Toronto. I mean look at what they've done. Not only have they won 7 straight. But they've won 10 of their last 11. And they're taking advantage, like I said, of beating the teams that they're supposed to beat. They win against Detroit. They win against Baltimore. They win against Oakland. Those are teams they should win. And I knew, you know, similar to the Yankees, their pitching still was in question. But looking at the numbers that this pitching staff has, they're doing much better. Hunjin Ryu is finally getting some help. Robbie Ray is a 2.60 ERA. Steven Matz, 3.70. Alex Manoa, 3.71. Jordan Romano, 2.50. This is a good team. And of course, their acquisition, Jose Barrios, 3.79 since coming over from Toronto. Or uh, from Minnesota, excuse me. So this is a Toronto team. And obviously, the story of the lineup is that they are so freaking powerful. I don't know if it's going to be a carryover. I don't know if they're going to be able to carry over 
and be able to leapfrog the Yankees because, again, they've got another schedule, and it is a favorable schedule, but after they finish in the Bronx, they're in Baltimore for four. They host Tampa for three. They host Minnesota for three. They travel to Tampa, to Minnesota for four, host the Yankees, host the Orioles. It is a favorable schedule, and I honestly would not be surprised if either were to happen, if the Yankees hold on or if the Blue Jays overtake them. But I think Toronto's getting hot at the right time. And I know I've been really back and forth, and a lot of people are criticizing me. Pick a side with the Yankees. You know, I've said numerous times that they're going to miss the playoffs, and then they're going to be World Series contenders or something like that. I don't think the Yankees are World Series contenders. Let's let's just get that out of the way right now. I don't think the Yankees, regardless of if they make the playoffs or not, I think I said it from the beginning. I can't fact check it right now. But I don't think I ever said that the Yankees are World Series contenders because I don't think they were taken seriously even when they won 11 straight games because I think the pitching was too inconsistent. And like I said, with this entire lineup, it's home run or bust. Home run or bust. So... I, you know, I'm coming to an overall decision after this, and I, you kind of have to with it, with it, with it being the last month. But I'm ultimately going to say that Toronto will overtake the Yankees. I think I don't know the positions. I don't know if the Red Sox are going to hold on because again, they still have their problems. Toronto is getting hot, and obviously the Yankees with all their issues, stuff like that. But I think this is my ultimate decision that I'm going to stick with until the end of the season, is that I think that the Blue Jays will overtake New York. They will have that second wild card spot at least. And who knows, they might even get hot enough to overtake Boston and host the wild card game in Toronto. And if they do that, you know the fans up there in Toronto, they get nuts. They get absolutely nuts. Remember in the mid-2010s when the Blue Jays were making the playoffs with Jose Bautista and Josh Donaldson and all of them. They went insane. So that might be a key for Toronto. But all I know is things are going to get hot and heavy heading into the last couple weeks of the regular season because teams are going to give it their all to have a chance to make the postseason. time for our let's get local segment of the week and we've got a special one we've got a very special guest returning to the show he's a writer and a producer on 98 by the sports hub you've seen him before but he's back alex Barr. thanks for taking the time thanks for joining us thanks for having me joe yeah so i gotta ask you uh first off you've been covering training camp and all the practices for the patriots what's it been like with this patriots team to cover them uh, it's been interesting. You know, it's all new. Last year, it was just super limited. So it's really the first time covering this team when there's some uncertainty at the quarterback position. Obviously, that's not the case anymore after last Tuesday. But it, it's not just a quarterback, honestly. There's a ton of moving parts on this roster, whether it's the secondary, whether it's the front seven, uh, even at, at receiver. You know, there, there's a ton of new players, a, new, a ton of new faces and key roles. And it's, it's just kind of been interesting to see because it feels new. It, you know, not that it was ever, I don't want it to sound like it was boring, but it was kind of just, 
you had a routine when Brady was here in terms of the summer. And it is this year was very different. Oh yeah, definitely. This was kind of like the first off season that fans could really see that's like post Tom Brady, obviously, because there wasn't one when he left for Tampa, but you mentioned the quarterback, obviously that was the biggest uh, headline with Mac Jones being named the starter, Cam Newton getting released. What was your overall thoughts and opinions about Belichick making the move to go with the rookie rather than Cam Newton? Yeah, I, I was pretty surprised. I thought that, you know, even though Mac Jones looked like the better quarterback as camp kind of came to an end there, I thought this is a team that always values experience and veterans. And I thought they would, you know, stick with Cam Newton initially and then maybe make the switch sometime in October. But for whatever reason, and there's theories and we don't know, and maybe Cam will tell us on Friday in his video, but we don't know why, but they just decided to go with Mac Jones outright. And it's testament to him because this, this is breaking the mold for them. This is not how they typically do business. And I think he was so impressive in those last two joint practices against the Giants, especially Wednesday when Cam was out, that he kind of forced their hand and they had to go in this direction. And who knows, you know, maybe if Cam was open to staying as the backup, they would have kept him. We might not ever know. But yeah, I, you know, Mac Jones came in and he won this job. And you got to tip your hat to him for that. Because I, I don't think that it was in the cards for him to do that initially. Yeah, I definitely agree that Cam Newton, um, this this was a job that Jones won, obviously. This wasn't, you know, handed to him. He definitely won it. And, you know, you've got to see all the training camps, all the practices, as you said, the joint practices with New York kind of pushed them over the edge. What is something that fans can really get excited about, about Mac Jones? What have you seen personally from him that fans could really get excited about seeing this rookie? So the offense is going to look a little more like it did under Tom Brady more personnel sets, more four or five wide. The, the real thing I love about Mac Jones and have loved about Mac Jones since he was at Alabama, right? Isn't what he does. It's what he doesn't do. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes and he's going to make some early on. That just comes with being a rookie quarterback. But I think once he gets comfortable, once he sees some of the different looks he'll get in the NFL that he maybe never saw in college, right? He's, he, he's, he's not a guy who screws up. He's not a guy who makes a ton of big plays, but they have playmakers around him. Johnny Smith, Nelson Aguilar, James White, right? And he, but he's, he's not going to give the ball over. He's not going to cost this team games. And I think that's really exciting because that's what this offense is predicated on, is not turning the ball over, not giving the other team extra opportunities. If they can do that with the defensive personnel they have, they should be in just about any game against any opponent. Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing that uh, you've heard from a lot of people is that you know, from the mental side of things, Jones is as close. So we're not going to say he's Brady 2.0, but he's kind of Brady-esque in terms of he's got the sort of mental sort of part of it. Doesn't have the athleticism stuff like that. But you know, right. I can sort of I can sort of see the things um, I can see in your face. The Tom Brady comparison might not be completely no, accurate. So, what do you think is different between Jones and Brady? Obviously, uh, big difference. So I, I think the, the comparison is accurate if you want to talk about the prototype, right? The mold of the player. And, you know, at the same time, you can talk about a guy like Jalen Darden, who's a fourth-round pick out of North Texas. He, you can compare him to Tyreek Hill because it's the same mold. It's the same sort of player. It's the same prototype. The skill level is, is vast. The gap in, in, in the proficiency is vast, but it's very rare you find a player, you know, 100 years in the NFL who's not going to fit the prototype. And Tom Brady is the gold standard of that prototype of quarterback. That doesn't mean there haven't been others, right? I, if you want to talk about the comparison, you look at a guy like Chad Pennington, and that scares some people because his career didn't end well. But that was because of injuries, right? If Chad 
Pennington stays healthy, he's one of the better quarterbacks of his time. He, he won that division twice head to head against Tom Brady once in 2002. And I guess 2008 wasn't head to head, but so it's a whole scale of players and Brady's at the top of that scale. And I don't know, there's a million guys at the bottom of that scale, uh, but they're in the same prototype. It's just, you know, and so in that sense, it's a fair comparison, but nobody's saying Mac Jones is going to come out and be Tom Brady. It's just that his strengths, his weaknesses line up with Brady's strengths and weaknesses. If you listed them all out, the extent to which his strengths are strengths and the extent to which his weaknesses are weaknesses are different than Brady. But the list, if you just name them, is going to look somewhat similar. Yeah, and I think that was uh, a factor as well in getting Jones in the quarterback. But obviously, quarterback was the biggest talk. But what's maybe a position or a personnel group that fans could really get excited about, you know, outside of the quarterback position? Yeah, I think the defensive front is going to be a ton of fun with Matt Judon, who's looked outstanding all summer, and he's going to be a menace. Getting Dante Hightower back makes a big difference. We, they missed him badly last year. Devon Godshaw is somebody I think fans are going to really enjoy watching play. Christian Barmore as well, the rookie defensive tackle. It's probably the best overall unit on this team. It, you know, it's either the offensive line or the defensive front seven. They're, they're a really strong team in the trenches. But it's been a while, right, probably since Trey Flowers, that the Patriots had that marquee pass rusher. And I think Matt Judon has a chance to be that. And then, again, people already love Dante Hightower and him coming back. Kyle Van Noy coming back, Josh Uche, guys who are fan favorites. I think fans are really going to like this front seven. Yeah, I definitely agree that this defense is going to carry this team uh, to some wins, and especially you need a good defense for a rookie quarterback to win you some games. But sticking with the defense, obviously the second biggest story maybe outside of uh, the quarterback is the situation with Stephon Gilmore. And I just want to get your thoughts, like what you've seen on the field, how is this defense sort of adjusting to the fact that they're not going to have Gilmore. We now know he's on the PUP. He's going to miss the first couple of weeks. How is this defense adjusting to life without their number one corner? I mean, it's going to be tough. You still have J.C. Jackson, and, and he's a good player. But the strength of this team in the past had been you had J.C. Jackson, Stephon Gilmore, Devin McCourty, Patrick Chung on the back end, and it didn't matter if the pass rush wasn't going to get there because those guys could cover for four, five, six seconds. Well, Duggar's good, but you don't have that same pop at box safety. You're down to one corner instead of two. That number two wide receiver is going to be able to take advantage, whether it's Sean Williams, whether it's Jalen Mills, whether it's Sean Wade. And I think, you know, all those guys certainly bring something positive to the table, but none of them are, are Gilmore or Jackson. None of them are close to that level. So you're going to have to look at the pass rush, I think, to, to kind of compensate for that. And they're not going to be able to give quarterbacks three to four seconds to throw. They're going to get beat this year if they do that. They got to get the backfield quick and, and disrupt these downfield passing plays and then just kind of hope that they can chip underneath and, and live with the short stuff and not get beat once you get down in the red zone. Gilmore's a big loss. And I think the secondary, there's a lack of depth that there hasn't been there for the last three or four years. And some of the guys who've left recently, whether it be Deron Harmon last year, Jason McCourty this year, he played 65% of the snaps last year, Jason McCourty did. And they didn't bring in an obvious replacement. So that, you know, that's obviously tough. You're looking in-house for that at, at Juwan Williams, who hasn't quite lived up to that second-round draft pick yet. You, you hope this is a breakout year for him. He closed camp strong. I'm not saying he can't do it, but, you know, it's a risk. Whether it be Jalen Mills, who's probably more of a safety, and, and he can fill that role, but you're playing him out of position. Or whether it be Sean Wade, who I really like, but just got here two weeks ago. Uh, 
it's going to be tough to fill that role in the secondary. So they're going to have to look at the front seven to kind of step up and, and make up for that. I think the best thing that helps for this past team is it's kind of uh, in terms of the wide receivers for the first couple of games, it, it's not as, you know, there are a couple of teams that can like definitely burn you like the bucks, their receivers can burn you. The Cowboys can kill you. Even the dolphins in week one, they've got yep. a great wide receiving core that uh, I think can stack up. And I think that's yep. going to be the issue for this secondary. Um, is there anything, do you see like anything on the field, any kind of like mood changing with Gilmore, not in the lineup are, players still like as invested or are they a little bit down that one of their top weapons aren't isn't on the field no everybody's still bought in and, and guys have talked about players and coaches have talked about how helpful Gilmore has been in the background in the film room working with guys so you know you lose probably something communications wise out there on the field you lose a very valuable veteran voice but I wouldn't say anybody's down about not having him I'm sure they'd love to have him you know that's not to say that oh you know Good, glad he's not here now we get to step up no I mean obviously they'd love to have him he's a great player but I you know I don't think anybody's dwelling on it you can't really dwell on something like that you're setting yourself up to fail if you do that and they and they know that yeah they definitely have the personality experience to be able to get over that but uh last last thing about uh training camp wise is obviously yep. one of the biggest moves during the preseason was the trade of Sony Michelle he's now off to the Rams which really opens the door not only for Ramondre Stevenson which everyone was talking about but J.J. Taylor too. So you look at that running back committee, you have Damian Harris, James White, Ramondre Stevenson, and J.J. Taylor. Do you think, in your personal opinion, that's one of the best running back groups that this team has had, or maybe in the league entirely? Yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're pretty good. I don't know. There was one year where they had, what it was, they had Shane Vereen. No, they didn't have Shane Vereen. No, maybe they did. Vereen, Dion Lewis, James White, LeGarrette Blunt. I mean, that, you know, that was as stacked as you can get, but th this year's groups. Very, and I just say that because I saw something. I, I was reading something about it yesterday. <laughs> um, that's not to diminish this group. This group is very good. I think Damian Harris can have a breakout year. I think James White's going to have a massive bounce back year. I really do. I think that with, with actual tight ends back on the field and not, you know, the Ryan Izzo's of the world, teams are going to have to respect that more last year. Teams were using safeties to cover James White. That usually wasn't the case in the past because they couldn't. And now he's going to get back on those slow-footed middle linebackers. He's going to be able to eat. And then, yeah, we'll see what they do with Stevenson. He's kind of a bit of an unknown to me because they never play rookie running backs who are picked outside of the first round. But they seem to have set things up for him to play. And he can contribute to the passing game a little bit. I know everybody wants to compare him to Garrett Blunt, And I see it. I'm not saying it's incorrect. But he, he actually has a little bit of Rex Burkett in him in terms of versatility. I don't think people realize how good of a pass catcher he is. I don't think people realize how good of a pass blocker he is, which is an understated part of that, you know, passing back role in the Patriots offense. So, and then J.J. Taylor, like you said, I, he, he to me is the Deion Lewis. Everybody looks at him like James White. I don't know that he's the pass blocker that James White is, but, you know, is that change of pace back on early downs for, for Harris and Stevenson? And they haven't had anybody in that role, really since Deion Lewis left, I think he can be successful in that role. So yeah, a lot to get excited about in that, in that running back room. I think, you know, you hear it in the practice and obviously you've seen it that they're being a little bit harder on Stevenson and that might be because they see a lot of great things coming out of him, but also it could be like a rookie type thing where they're just taking a little harder on him. Uh, last thing before we get into some season expectations is obviously we know what this offense looks like. We know the O-line is very solid. We have their quarterback, but in terms of the receiving, you know, you have your two tight ends and you have all these wide receivers. Who to you do you think is going to be Mac Jones's favorite target and who is he going to probably target the most? Because 
to me, it doesn't seem like there's a clear number one out there until we see some game action. Yeah, there's not. I'm actually writing about this right now um, for like a bold predictions thing. I, I don't, you know, his favorite by default is probably Myers. He's going to get targeted a bunch, but one thing Mac did very well this summer, and you don't generally see rookie quarterbacks do this, right? You generally see rookie quarterbacks have that banky. Mac spread the ball out. He was throwing the ball to everybody, everybody. And, you know, there's no reason that that shouldn't continue into the regular season. That's only going to help him if he keeps doing that. So I, I think you look at it situationally. I think there's guys that, you know, will probably be favorites in the red zone, whether that be the tight ends, whether that be James White, who's been a red zone threat out of the backfield in the past. Uh, you know, I think out on third down, you, you look at a guy, again, like Jacoby Myers, like Kendrick Bourne, who's been a great chain mover throughout his career early downs, you know, that uh, I think Johnu Smith is a guy who's a great drive starter who you can throw the ball to him in the flat five yards and he can turn that into a 20, 25 yard gain. So I, I think Max going to spread the ball out. I really do. And again, rookie quarterbacks don't do that. You look at Justin Herbert, who is, you know, if you're a Patriots fan, you, you look at what Justin Herbert did in, 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 with the Chargers last year, obviously they didn't win a ton of games, but that's still sort of the blueprint you want. And Keenan Allen was the most targeted receiver in football last year. And I think a lot of that was Justin Herbert was a rookie. He's doing what he knows. I don't think you're going to see that kind of thing with Mac Jones. I do think he's going to make a point of spreading the ball around. Yeah, I do agree that there isn't a number one, but as you're saying, if he's spreading the ball out like that a lot, it's going to be difficult to defense, figure out who you're going to, who you're going to cover the most. Uh, Now getting into some season expectations. This was a team, Alex, that was seven and nine and was regarded as the least, talented team you know they were seven and nine and they had cam newton but he couldn't throw the ball downfield the weapons at wide receiver was a little bit lacking that's what some people are saying what do you think is a reasonable expectation for this team you know record wise is it like a nine and eight or a ten and seven what do you think i think you're probably looking at nine ten maybe eleven wins um as a base if they get stefan gilmore back right away and mac jones doesn't have much of an adjustment period you could look at 12 13 wins just with how good this defense is uh but that's you know that's a couple what ifs going their way i think the baseline's like 10 11 wins somewhere around there it's probably where they should be and you got to remember i know people are saying oh you you pay all this money you draft a quarterback you want a better season than that they max on a long-term deal most of these guys they signed are on three four-year deals this is a a four-year project they're working on this is year one of a four-year window so to start that window off with 10 wins, you're, you're in pretty good, you're, you're in pretty good spot right there. What's funny to me is that right after Mac Jones was named the starter, everyone ultimately said, Oh, this team's going to make the playoffs. They're division contenders. You're guys on ESPN, like all of a sudden blowing the roof off this Patriots team. And I'm like, chill out, chill out. This dude's still a rookie. And I know he's got like, as we talked about Tom Brady kind of comparisons, but I don't think they're like total division winners. I don't think they overtake Buffalo. And I think it's a struggle against Miami. Uh, follow up. Do you think they're a playoff team? Yeah, they should be a playoff team. They should be a wild card team. And look, I could see them winning the division. Some of that is, I think, Buffalo regressing to the mean. I'm not high on Buffalo at all. This like They'll still be a good team. But I think what Buffalo did last year wasn't sustainable. I think they come back to the pack. You know, I think you could look at it where that, that Monday night game in December in Buffalo is a big game. Um, again, and this is if, if some of those, what ifs go right, right. If Mac doesn't have much of an adjustment period, if Gilmore comes back right away, they could both be 12 win teams. 
you're kind of looking at the extremes each way. So I think it's possible, but at the very least, the Patriots should be a wild card team. I'd be pretty surprised if they're not, especially with that. You know, you got to remember, there's that extra wild card spot this year. There's seven now, seven playoff teams instead of six. So they should get in. Yeah, they just barely uh, missed it last year, just faltering the last couple of weeks. And you, you kind of answered the next question after that, maybe outside, you know, looking at the schedule, there's an extra week in there, maybe outside of Tom Brady's return to Gillette. What do you think is the biggest game that fans should really tune into? You talked about the December Monday night against Buffalo, but outside of Tom Brady's return, what do you think is the biggest game on the schedule? Yeah, I, th- I mean, they've, they've pl- faced Buffalo twice in December. And I think both of those games are going to mean something. The, the Bills probably end up winning the division, but I think it's still going to be on the line for both of those games. And both of those games are going to carry significant meaning in terms of the playoffs and all that. So um, those are the two games I'm looking at is those could have a ton of juice. And one of those on Monday night too, which is cool. So uh, those are going to be exciting games. Yeah, definitely exciting, especially to have fans back in Gillette. And we'll get yes. you out of here, Alex, on this. What is the one bold prediction maybe a prediction for this past season that no one's really talked about or thought about heading into this season whether it be a possible midseason trade or something that happens on the field what do you think is a bold prediction what's a bold prediction that you'll make for this Patriots team so uh, I actually am posting bold predictions Friday morning 985thesportshub.com I'll give you a little spoiler here a little my cross two. promotion that's good yeah yeah I'll give you my two uh one is that and I kind of talked about this before I think the leader in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns, right? Those three categories, I think, are all led by three different players. And I think that on defense, they allow under 100 rushing yards a game, average less than 100 rushing yards a game through the course of the season. That's after being one of the worst run defending teams last year. Uh, So those, those are my two bold predictions. We'll see. I was two of five last year. Granted, one of them was Cam Newton catching a touchdown pass, and that came right down to the wire. But I feel like 205 on bold predictions is pretty good. So if I hit one of those two, I'll be pretty happy. Yeah, that's Hall of Fame numbers if you're hitting 400 like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alex, yeah. uh, Alex Barr, thanks again for joining us here. Any kind of uh, promotions you want to plug real quick before we sign off? Yeah, uh, 985thesportshub.com. Myself, Matt Dolph, we got you covered all season long. And then you can follow me on Twitter at RealAlexBarth. And, of course, a couple of appearances on 98 Thoughts Sports Hub every Saturday. I'm always happy to tune in there. And there was one time I submitted a, I submitted a little pose. I don't know if you knew if it was me, but I did say, you know, I gave a little hypothetical. Okay. I'll, I'll have to go back and check that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alex Barth, once again, thank you for joining the show and previewing the Patriots season. It is sure to be an exciting season in Foxborough. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Special thanks once again to Alex Barth for joining us. He was in between Patriots practice and he was able to stop in his car, talk a little bit of Patriots with us during our Let's Get Local segment. So thanks again to Alex. And now, as always, we wrap up our show with our LOL moment of the week. And not only was this week funny, but it was definitely historic. So without any further ado, this week's LOL moment of the week goes to... Derek Jeter, the newly inducted Hall of Famer in Cooperstown, 
had some little fun during his speech. Obviously, we won't be able to play the video for license and purposing and stuff like that. So I'm just going to read you the quote that he started off with. He said, thank you to the baseball writers, all but one of you who voted for me. Now, that is definitely a fun way to poke at some people, especially one person, because whoever that one person was that didn't vote for Derek Jeter to get into the Hall of Fame, shame on you. Shame on you. I don't know who you are, but shame for not giving that vote to Derek Jeter. And I understand that, you know, there have only, I don't think there's been anyone, maybe one person. I think it was like Mariano Rivera, who's only the unanimous Hall of Famer in Cooperstown. But the one person who doesn't vote for Derek Jeter gets called out, and he's getting ridiculed for the rest of his life. But also part of that might be a little bit of salt. He's a little salty that he didn't get that unanimous vote for enshrinement. But of course, I mean, every speech has to have that sort of quick whip or that funny moment like that. And that's what Derek Jeter did, because pretty much since his playing career, he has been the one who's getting laughed at, not laughed with, with his ownership of the Miami Marlins. I mean, what a joke that team has become. But I mean, he's also living up to that Yankee status about being irritated at the tiniest little thing. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest shortstops of all time. I don't think there's anything more you have to be salty about. You're in there. It doesn't matter if you were unanimous or not. You're in there. But I mean, if there, if I guess it'd be different if it was one unanimous vote as opposed to like, I don't know, like maybe 10 or 20, something like that. But one, one vote from unanimous. I mean, how do you not get a little salty about that? I'd be I'd be a little upset too if that was me. If I was one vote away from being unanimous and one stupid person decided to say, "Eh, I don't think you're worthy." I say no. Like unbelievable. But it still was an incredible incredible ceremony. Him and Larry Walker. I mean, Larry Walker could have been an LOL moment of the week too. I mean, do you see the SpongeBob pin that he had? On his suit, he's keeping that thing alive, and apparently it's like a theme that Larry Walker has for uh, Spongebob-themed things, stuff like that. But overall, it was just a great day in Cooperstown to see the enshrinement, not only of Larry Walker, but Derek Jeter. You know, those two guys did so much for the game, and, you know, Derek Jeter, is uh, he's a revolutionary player. Uh, that's all it is, and that's coming from a Red Sox fan, you know. I don't like him. But I respect him for what he did. I mean, that catch in uh, the Bronx where he crashed into the stands, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And then the the backhanded pick um, during that game against Oakland, that was unreal. Absolutely unreal. So he, without a doubt, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But for that little quip, for calling out that one person who took away the unanimous vote to be in the Hall of Fame, Derek Jeter, You have earned yourself into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that'll wrap up another edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much if you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Make sure you follow our other pages. We've got pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you gotta do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you gotta get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up 
and let me speak.